0: Happy Friday, y'all. Here's what's coming up on NSN Daily. Our Chris Murray looking back on a decade-old project, repicking Nevada basketball's all-time starting five. This is home to me. I didn't want to leave. Nevada baseball's Matt Clayton sticking with the silver and blue through a coaching change. Shannon Kelly shares the seniors' long-standing ties to the Wolfpack. The
1: fans are really nice. Everybody's uh, taking to me.
0: We'll also head to Greater Nevada Field to catch up with one of the Aces' newest members, Tristan English, from a town of under 400 to the brink of the major leagues. Let's
2: get to the window this weekend, boys.
0: And it's a Femi Friday. Vison host Femi Abebafe joins us from Las Vegas, setting the table for the NBA playoffs, the Preakness stakes, and more. All that plus more right now on NSN Daily. Well, hello and happy Friday once again, friends. Welcome into our champion Chevrolet studio. He's Chris Murray. I'm Mike Stephenson, and you know what it is. This is NSN Daily. Lots to get to on today's edition of the show. We have state tournament games going on as we speak, but we want to go back to what happened yesterday out of the Douglas Tigers because, boy, they are a dominant team. We have talked a lot about on these airwaves, and they set an impressive record yesterday. Let's hit those highlights as we start with Carter Eckle of the Nevada Appeal <laughs> hooking us up from the press box because Talia Trenton's home run there was Douglas's 61st of
3: the season. Chris, a new state record. Yeah, the previous record of 60 by Palo Verde in Their 2017. Opponent. That was Talia's 13th home run of the season, so certainly a ton of power on that team, and that set what was to come for Douglas. And Douglas would go on to take
0: down Palo Verde in that opening round game. Moving on to round two where the Tigers are facing a familiar foe in the Reed Raiders, who also moved on after round one. Douglas just last week got a 16-3 win over Reed in that regional championship game. Those two, again, matching up as we speak. We'll wrap a bow on state tournaments next Monday on NSN Daily. You see the Bree Williams home run there. They ended up smacking three over the wall there at Hickson Park, so now 63.
3: Maybe adding to it in that state record. And great to see our teams representing at the state level in 5A softball. And this is the one sport outside of cross-country where the North has been really strong at the state level. 12 of the last 20 state championships in softball claimed by Northern teams. Douglas is the team to beat entering the tournament. They certainly got off on the right foot, and now they clash against Reed for a spot in the championship game tomorrow. Uh, Even if that team loses, whoever uh, does not win that one tonight can still play their way into the championship game. So um, still a lot of games to be played, but a very good start for softball and played. Douglas runners up last year
0: searching for its first state title since 1992. It might happen on Saturday down on campus. Want to quickly mention it was a tough opening day for our North baseball
3: teams. Yeah, 0-8 if you look at the 5A, the 3A, the 2A, and the 1A, obviously a lot of focus on how would Bishop Minogue do. They lost 2-0 to Desert Oasis, and then how would Damani Ranch do. They lost 10-0 to Bishop Gorman. So the two large class teams were not able to put a run across the board, which pushed both of them into an elimination game being played today. But even at the lower levels, there is a pretty wide gulf between the baseball teams in Las Vegas and the baseball teams Here in northern Rada. We'll see if anybody can rally to a state tournament championship game. But certainly the first round didn't go great. Well, speaking of the links. Truckee and North Tahoe claiming boys' titles.
0: So, shout out to the 3A and the 2A golf titles staying up north. Wolverines and the Lakers get it done.
3: Yeah, and then at the 2A level, Jackson Perryman also won the individual championship for North Tahoe, so a really good outing for him. While Bishop Gorman won the 5A level out at Red Hawk Spanish Springs, Harrison Hashimoto did finish second. So, he gets a silver medal. So, um, a little bit more success over on the golf links.
0: We like to see it. We like to see those tournaments, of course, taking place here up north. Again, we'll wrap a bow on State Tournament Weekend next Monday on NSN Daily. But if you watch News 4 at 11 tonight, we'll have the latest highlights and scores for your viewing pleasure. Alright, let's transition now to something that you can see in full at NevadaSportsNet.com. It's a mailbag leftover, Chris, and it's an interesting one, as we had an old flashback
3: to uh, your RGJ days. Yeah, there's actually somebody who took a picture of the newspaper, February 2013. It was the 100th year of Nevada basketball, 2013, so I did a 100-year celebration, the all-century team, your top player at every position, then five honorable mentions. So, they asked me to refresh that list, and we did do that on the website this week. We're refreshing Nevada basketball's
0: all-time starting five plus a coach. We should mention the way you looked
3: at this was college career plus what happened after. Yeah, I mean, if you look just at college career, that is a little bit different than what somebody does at the next level. At the pro level, someone like JaVale McGee in particular had a ton of success at the pro level, still playing in the NBA, so it was a cumulative what they accomplished as a basketball player, and not just specifically what they did for the Wolfpack.
0: All right, let's go one through five, and then we'll talk about how maybe things changed uh, from 10 years ago, starting with your point guard, Ramon Sessions. Now, I mean, Boy. obviously,
3: Ramon was a tremendous player here at Nevada. He was a guy who sacrificed some of his own game for team success. They won four Mountain West championships in his three seasons. They made it to three NCAA tournaments before he turned pro after his junior year. So a phenomenal player, and then went on and played 11 seasons at the NBA level. So there's been... A ton of great point guards, probably Nevada's best position. I give him the nod over guys like Deontay Burton, Lindsey Drew, Johnny High, Armon Johnson. A lot of talent, but Ramon coupled team success at the college level with a ton of success as an individual as a pro.
0: Then he donated a million bucks back that, that to the That's pretty, and he he was also the point guard in 2013, correct? Uh, no, actually,
3: I was with somebody else at that point. I okay. did Michael Fly Gray, who was kind of a shooting guard, point guard. Okay, so that is a new addition to the top line. All right, so a new
0: addition in 2023, Ramon Sessions, your starting point guard. Your number two guard is a big one. Your shooting guard. Caleb Martin.
3: Yeah, when I did this story back in the day, he was actually a junior in high school. Exactly. So that one changes right there. <laughs> yeah. Obviously Caleb only two years in Nevada, but a huge player for the Wolfpack 2008. 2008- 18 Mountain West player of the year with his brother Cody there as well, led Nevada to the sweet 16 in 2018. The next year went on to number five in the country. Um, That's the highest ranking Nevada has ever had. So a ton of great shooting guards as well for Nevada. But he also has done it at the next level. A very key piece of the Miami heats playoff run this year. I would say my backup Marcellus Kemp. Obviously Marcellus a great scorer at Nevada finished number two all time in scoring with the Wolfback. He was the original pick but Caleb Martin has since leapfrogged him.
0: All right. Heck of a heck of a career for Caleb continuing in the NBA. Your small forward, I believe that is unchanged from 2013, Unchange. Kirk Snyder.
3: Yeah, Kirk Snyder was obviously the best player on Nevada's 2004 Sweet 16 team, the first time Nevada won a game in the NCAA tournament, also the 2004 uh, WAC player of the year. He was the number 16 pick in his draft. That's the highest Wolfpack player has ever been drafted, so he sticks on that line. Some other great po- uh, power forwards, Ken Green, uh, Dwayne Randall, Matt Williams, uh, Nat Montgomery, Marvin Buckley, but I think... Kirk takes the cake. Gosh, he was so much fun to watch as I think about growing up throughout his uh, time with the Wolfpack.
0: Your power forward, well, his number is hanging (laughs) in the rafters, Mr. Nick Fazekas.
3: Yeah, most consider him the best player in program history, certainly at the college level he was. He was number one in scoring, still number one in scoring. For Nevada, as you mentioned, one of two players with his number retired, probably more of a center at Nevada. We'll play him at Power Forward. (laughs) Has had a great pro career, unfortunately, not at the NBA level, but really a hero over there in Japan, helped them get to the Olympics. Uh, One of the best players in the Japanese basketball league. So he is our top guy couple of backups, you got Luke Babby, you got Jordan Caroline, Kevin Pinkney, Cam Oliver, Alex Boyd. So really talented position for Nevada.
0: All right, and at center, you talked about him off the get-go. His NBA career certainly helping this JaVale McGee.
3: Yeah, and I, we put that out there, and people are saying, where's Edgar Jones? Edgar Jones was a great player, probably the first star for Nevada basketball. But JaVale McGee has three NBA titles, an Olympic gold. He's going to play 20 seasons in the NBA, so only two years at Nevada, but he does make the cut as our starting center.
0: And we got to talk about the coaches, too. In 2013, this man had not stepped foot on campus quite
3: yet, but you got to give the nod to
0: Eric Musselman. I think he might
3: have been the head coach of the Reno Bighorns at the time, but he is the coach of our all-time Wolfpack team. Certainly Trent Johnson and Mark Fox, Sonny Allen, Jake Lawler all had great tenures, but he is the best coach hands down that Nevada's ever had in men's basketball. He's backed that up at Arkansas with uh, back-to-back Elite Eights, and then this year a Sweet 16 really revitalized this program, so he is coaching that squad. All right, that's pretty good stuff. So, Nevada's
0: all time starting five, 10 years later after Chris's original picks in 2013. You can read more about that at NevadasportsNet.com. Coming up next on NSN Daily, we're heading down to Las Vegas, checking in with Vicen's Femi Abebefe as we try to get to the window over the weekend. We're talking bets next. Welcome back to NSN Daily on a Friday. Alongside Chris Murray, I'm Mike Stephenson. We are in the Legends Bay Lounge powered by Circus Sports. Good reminder that you can download the Circus Sports app and place bets anywhere in our beautiful Silver State. As we now head down south and to Las Vegas and the Circus Sports book, we are joined by Femi Abebafe. It is another Femi Friday, a VSIN host, commentator, and the co host of the GM Shuffle podcast. Femi, I know Vegas is buzzing right now, especially with VGK playing
2: tonight. The Western Conference Finals, Game 1, coming up later tonight at T-Mobile Arena. That's going to draw a lot of action at the betting window. That's fun. We got Vegas' NBA team, the Los Angeles Lakers, in the midst of the Western Conference Finals as well. Not going as well for the Lake Show, down 0-2 in the series, but maybe they'll bounce back going home tomorrow night over there at the Crypto.com Arena. But a lot going on. I mean, the Preakness, the PGA Championship. We got the NBA, NHL playoffs. It's a fun time to be a better oh by the way there's also a bunch of baseball games as well so it's a <laughs> good time to be down here as always in southern nevada and las vegas
3: we'll get into the nba the nfl and the preakness but with the golden knights playing today do you like their chances of winning the stanley cup uh, obviously they've got a really tough matchup coming up here with minnesota and we'll see who they face out of the eastern conference if
2: they're able to get through boy i mean this stanley cup playoffs has been an absolute crap shoot you know i dabbled into it because i'm not really into the hockey following it all throughout the regular season but I dabbled in the postseason because how could you not because it's a fun sport to watch and I I bet the New York Rangers and through about two games into the Mm -hmm. first round it was looking really good and then they fell apart against the New Jersey Devils so it's been a very wide open Stanley Cup playoffs the defending cup champions Colorado they get knocked out in round one by my beloved Seattle Kraken you got Boston who got knocked out in round one the best record in NHL history in the regular season they get bounced so I think this thing is up for grabs. Right now, if I had to guess who wins it, I would guess maybe the Florida Panthers. They seem like they're a team of destiny. You don't really think Stanley Cup and hockey when you think of Florida, but the Panthers have been terrific. They go in and they beat the Boston Bruins in the first round in that Game 7, and they've carried that momentum all the way throughout these playoffs here. So if I had to guess, I would put my money on Florida to go ahead and lift the Lord Stanley's Cup. How about that 4 ot t win yesterday mm-hmm. for Florida?
0: Something going on as we were talking yeah. about before we came on air with these eight seeds in Miami and just sports in South <laughs> Beach in general. It's been a heck of a year when you go back to the NCAA tournament and, uh, and even before that. All right, let's transition now and talk a little NBA hoops. Game two last night, Lakers and Nuggets. It was so funny listening to Michael Malone after the game. He's like, after game one, nobody's talking about Nikola Jokic's incredible performance. They're talking about how the Lakers may have discovered something, but Denver, boy, answered the call yesterday. After L.A. went up 10, Femi, 32-10 run by the Nuggets. How are you seeing this mm-hmm. one with Denver up 2 nothing now?
2: Yeah, the, the Nuggets have needed to change their name to maybe the Spicy Nuggets because, man, <laughs> they got a chip on their shoulder. And they've been talking about how hey, nobody respects us. I mean, this goes back years. Even when we beat the Clippers is what Jamal Murray was referencing. He said when they beat the Clippers in the bubble, nobody talked about Denver going to the Western Conference Finals. It was about how the Clippers collapsed. Like, Denver just seems like they're the overlooked team. Nikola Jokic, one could argue. He was overlooked in the MVP race this season. Nobody wanted to give it to him for three straight years. I think we're finding out that that was very dumb. He's the best player in the league and has played like it throughout these postseason, averaging a triple-double in the postseason. So a lot of to like about the Denver Nuggets when you look at it on the surface. Now, with that said, I think L.A. gets back into this series. In fact, I think the Lakers still win this series. Mm. The Lakers have been a really good team ever since making those trades at the deadline, getting Jared Vanderbilt, getting a number of pieces that have been put together. D'Angelo Russell, one of them there to get this thing back on track and making one last run with LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I think people are just kind of overreacting a little bit, and the markets overreact. I get it. The Lakers have to win four of their next five to ultimately go to the NBA Finals. However, Denver, all they did was they were favored, and they won at home. So they held serve. They did what the home team is supposed to do, protect home court advantage. Now we go back to L.A. for Game 3 coming up Saturday night, and then Game 4 will be later on on Monday. And I think that the Lakers can get back on track. I mean, you think about last round, Denver went up 2-0. Everybody was pounding their chest about the Denver Nuggets, myself included. And then they went to Phoenix and lost game three and game four. So we had a game five situation 2-2. I think that's where we're headed in this series as well. After four games, I believe we will be 2-2. And in this spot, because I know Denver's a very difficult place to play, but in this spot, I trust LeBron James and Anthony Davis to be able to steal one game in Denver more than I trust those Denver role players to be able to play as well as they did at home on the road in L.A. So I actually think that the Lakers win this series. I played some Lakers in six at 10 to one, and I've also played the Lakers plus 375 on the series price as well. I think the Lakers go to the NBA Finals. This was a little bit of a hiccup, down 0-2, but it's not as bad as people think it is. They only lost those games by about five points or so. But I think the Lakers bounce back and ultimately win the series. So
3: you talked about the Nuggets feeling disrespected. I think the Miami Heat fall in that same category. Obviously, Jimmy Butler has given voice to that. ESPN gave them a 3% chance of beating Boston in this Eastern Conference Finals. (laughs) They did win game one. They are still the big underdogs. If you like Miami to win this series, you can get plus 185. So how do you think this one shakes out when all is said and done?
2: I think this series is going to be a microcosm of what the Boston Celtics are. Jekyll and Hyde, Peaks Mm -hmm. and Valleys, I think that's what we're going to see with this series. I mean, Boston dating back to last year, they've been the type of team that when their backs are against the wall, they're awesome. But when they're kind of in a cushy environment, they just play with their food and they let other teams beat them. And series get prolonged a little bit longer than they should. We saw that in the first round with the Atlanta Hawks. They should have closed the Hawks out in game five. They lose that game. They end up having to do it in game six. We saw last series where they almost tricked away the series against the Philadelphia 76ers, losing that game five at home. They had needed a Jason Tatum heroic effort in game six in the fourth quarter to even force the game seven, which they went ahead and blew out Philadelphia. So, in these backs against the wall situations, I think we get the best of the Boston Celtics. And the best of the Boston Celtics is the best team in the NBA. I've laid eight and a half with them tonight. I even laid nine with the Celtics tonight. Uh, I think that number right now is on the run. There are some tens that are populating. Wow. I think at 10, That's when you kind of stop there. I think that's a little bit too much. It's a bridge too far. But anything under 10, I think, is a play for Boston in game two. I'm really confident that they're going to go ahead and even up this series. Now, as for the series as a whole, I would not be as confident to lay minus 225 or minus 210, whatever it is, for Boston to win the series. I think they do win the series, but I think this could go six or seven games just because I don't think Boston has that killer instinct to when they recognize that there's an inferior opponent in front of them to go ahead and pounce on them. I think they let those teams hang in it. I think Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolcher can steal at least one more game, if not two more games. Wouldn't surprise me if we see this thing go seven, but I think we're going minimum six games Celtics heat, though. But I think Boston advances to the NBA Finals. Miami, boy, they're a tough out, squeaking past the play-in
0: and now winning game one on the road. (laughs) To steal a phrase you once taught me, that uh, Celtics' defense at times looking like cook food for Jimmy Butler. (laughs) (laughs) They are. (laughs) (laughs) He's killing it. All right, let's transition now talk a little NFL, because if you go to the Circus Sports app, you can place bets for NFL Week 1, which doesn't arrive until September. So I'm curious, Femi, what is the strategy when you can place bets on the NFL during the summer when there are still so many unknowns?
2: I mean, how glorious is it? You pull up an odds (laughs) board, you see NFL game, you see sides, you see totals, you see money lines. It's just the NFL is my favorite sport. I'm sure that you guys can now tell with the smile that's on my face. But I just love the anticipation that we have for this NFL season that is still months away, like you mentioned, Mike. But I think the strategy with this one is to not necessarily place bets, but just monitor the market. And I think you can get a really, really good key in on how the market perceives teams will be because as much as we all collectively or individually know about the NFL, the collective and the the, the kind of the, uh, the, 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 the the common theme amongst people in the market, I think is the smarter opinion there. You know, I think there's expertise in the collective. So I think kind of keeping tabs on what that does in the market will let you know how teams will be going on later in the season. And I think you can apply that to, let's say, an awards market or you can apply it to a futures market. If you see a team in week one over the summer get aggressively bet against, it's probably a bad sign for that team heading into the season. And I think a team like that is probably the Arizona Cardinals who are going up against a quarterback in Sam Howell who has started one game in his career and a team in the Washington Commanders who has a win total of, last time I checked, six and a half. And yet the Cardinals are being bet against as if people know that Washington is just going to blow them out. Like you know, Washington right now is a six-point favorite at the Circa Sportsbook and at other sportsbooks across the market there. So it tells you right there that Arizona, not going to be a good team. So I think that is how you kind of keep tabs on what's going on in the market there. And then you can maybe wait a little bit. If you like an underdog, I think waiting is a good way to do that. Wait till game week because oftentimes in the spring and in the summer, all throughout the offseason, those favorites get bet. So if you want an underdog, You'll probably get a good number and a better number once we actually get closer to kickoff. If you like a favorite, you might have to do it now. You might have to bet that now if you like the favorite. But if you like the dog, which we see underdogs more often than not go ahead and cover in week one because we're still really uncertain about how these teams actually stack up. I would wait. And that's what I'm going to do as somebody who likes to bet underdogs early in the season when there's more unknowns. I will go ahead and wait for week one, that that, that week of leading up to those games, in the opening weekend, I think is when I'll be placing those week one bets. So right now, just kind of monitor things, but uh, keep an eye on, on how things are going because yeah, I think you can apply it in other markets going forward. Staying
3: on the NFL, uh, Devontae Adams of the Las Vegas Raiders came out earlier this week and said that he quote-unquote destroyed the Aaron Rodgers narrative, meaning that he was only a good wide receiver because of Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, he was very good with Derek Carr last year. Now we will be playing with Jimmy Garoppolo as a Raiders starting quarterback. How do you think Devontae does with Jimmy G, who doesn't necessarily stretch the field, quite as much as his previous two quarterbacks.
2: You know, I think Devontae Adams is just one of those players that it doesn't matter who's throwing him the football. He's going to make that player better. And I think you saw that with Aaron Rodgers last year with his play even declining and Devontae Adams staying at the level. Now, I'm not saying that Devontae Adams is a better player than Aaron Rodgers because we know that Rodgers has his legacy and that's cemented. He's going to the Hall of Fame. But Devontae is going to the Hall of Fame as well as probably the best receiver of his generation. And I think he can uplift Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, the key With the Raiders and with Jimmy Garoppolo, is that can Garoppolo stay healthy? That's been something that's been hard for him to do throughout his career. I think he's only stayed healthy and played a full season one time in his career. He got hurt his first year with the 49ers. He got hurt last year. He got hurt the year before that. Like the the injuries for Jimmy Garoppolo continue to pile up, whether it's a thumb, it's a foot, it's a shoulder, it's an ACL. Like he's either he has bad luck or he just for some reason keeps getting the injury bug. But if they can keep him healthy, I think that this Raiders offense can really. Not necessarily take off, but be pretty efficient. Because Jimmy Garoppolo has experience working with Josh McDaniels. Now, Devontae Adams is learning this offense. Josh McDaniels, like he's is now in year two. He should be more comfortable in it. They can move him around. They can do those types of things and get him the football. So if Jimmy G and Devontae can get on the same page, and they brought in Michael Mayer, the tight end of Notre Dame, they brought in Jacoby Myers from New England, and a, another receiver that knows the offense, maybe they can be a pretty good offense. Defensively, that's another story. We'll see. Tyree Wilson, that first round pick, he's got to pop early on for them to be a good defense to pair him with Max Crosby. But I think offensively, I didn't even mention Josh Jacob. Like this can be a really productive offense for the Raiders. And it starts with Devontae Adams, who's the best player on the team, in my opinion. And as long as he's on the same page with Josh McDaniels and that front office and the entire organization, I think that at least offensively, the Raiders can be pretty productive in 2023. A lot to be
0: decided there in Sin City and at Allegiant Stadium. More pressing this weekend is the Preakness. And I tell you what, it pays to watch because two (laughs) Fridays ago, Femi had the Mage pick. And sure enough, he comes and wins the Kentucky Derby. So does Mage do it again as the favorite in the Preakness? Femi, just seven horses.
2: How do you see this going? You know, one thing I think as betters and also just as a life uh, pro tip is that know where your strengths are and know where your weaknesses (laughs) are. And I think with the horse racing, I know where my weaknesses are. But... I also know a lot of smart people who bet the horses. And the smart people were the ones who told me to bet Mage. Luckily, I was able to give Mage out with you guys a couple of weeks ago, and we all got to the winner's circle. So, after doing the Preakness preview here at our network here at Beeson, I went ahead and talked to the smart people once again. And the smart people told me that Mage likely to win this race, and you see that reflected in the odds. I believe Mage 8-5 to five on the morning mm-hmm. line might even close even money, or might even close 4-5 to five by the time we actually get to post here because of the uh, the, the the scratch of First Mission, who's now left the race there. But I think Mage is gonna win this race. But you don't really get paid out much on even money or four to five. So we got to go to the exotics to go ahead and get a little bit of scratch here. So I went ahead and played it straightforward. I'm gonna play Mage in an exacta with the number one horse, National Treasure. The number one horse, National Treasure, is really interesting because that is a Bob Baffert horse. And for anybody who has followed horse racing, even for five minutes, You've probably at least seen Bob Baffert, the white hair, the sunglasses. He's the most recognizable figure in all of horse racing. And he says his favorite race is the Preakness. He says that the Derby has all sorts of stress. He talked to The Athletic earlier this week and said, hey, I love the Preakness because it's just like, it's it's kind of the nitty gritty. And usually I come into this as the hunted. Now I'm the hunter because Baffert, of course, served the suspension after everything that happened with Medina Spirit in the Kentucky Derby. A couple years ago. So, Baffert loves this horse, National Treasure. So, I'm going to pair up Mage and National Treasure with an exact. finish one, two, that should pay out, I think, in the range of about seven to one, eight to one. We'll see what happens at the uh, the pot once we actually get to the race time. But I think that's the way to go ahead and play this race. I think Mage wins it, but I don't want to pay at even money. So, go with the exact, the Mage, National Treasure, number one, number two. We'll see how it works out at Pimlico tomorrow afternoon.
0: Hey, you're batting a 1,000 so far on NSN Daily, so might as well go for it again here as the prickness arrives. He is Femi Abebefe, v Sin commentator and co-host of the GM Shuffle Podcast. Femi, as always, thank you, sir. Let's get to
3: the window this weekend, boys. Good luck. That's the plan.
0: A lot of money to be won. I'll put my money. Lost. Uh,
3: Coffee on Chris is a horse in this race. All one word, coffee my on name's Chris. Chris, I'm obviously betting on Chris. With that said, you don't drink coffee, though. Uh, I do not drink <laughs> coffee, so coffee without Chris, maybe. Maybe that's the horse I need to drink Coffee on Chris,
0: is, in he'll buy it for everyone else.
3: Yeah, but 20 to one odds, so might as well give it a shot.
0: Hey, we'll it's see. It's worth it. Download yeah. the Circus Sports <laughs> app. All right, uh, coming up next on NSN Daily, we're talking a little Nevada baseball, and Chris is also handing out report cards for men's and women's golf. We're heading to campus next on Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily. As he took over Nevada's baseball program, head coach Jake McKinley inherited just one returning starter in the field from last year's team.
4: Shannon Kelly features Matt Clayton's journey.
5: Matt Clayton always knew he wanted to play college baseball.
4: I grew up with three brothers. So I was playing with uh, two of my older brothers ever since I could remember, always going to their practices.
5: Clayton isn't the first in his family to wear silver and blue. His great-uncle, Don Bealey was a shortstop for the Wolf Pack in the late 1970s. And one of Clayton's older brothers was recently a student at Nevada.
4: We were here together for two years, so it was nice to have like, like family here and have someone here throughout the time, especially when it was my first time being away
5: from home. Family ties weren't the only reason Clayton wanted to play for the Wolf Pack. One of his high school teachers, Jim Stassi, was a Hall of Fame catcher for the Pack in the 1980s,
4: well in Ube City, the stats they like kind of coached me growing up, and then um, so th- he went here and played, and so did his son. So just kind of always been interested in Nevada.
5: Four years into Clayton's college career, T.J. Bruce left Nevada for T.C.U. The catcher became the Pack's lone starting position player to return this season under new head coach Jake McKinley.
4: I'm a pretty loyal person, and like this is home to me. I didn't want to leave. I'm gonna finish where I started.
5: And he's making the most of his final season at Piccoli Park, leading the pack in hits and RBIs, while ranking second in home runs and doubles, and batting over 300.
4: I'm a pretty quiet person, so like I speak with my actions. and not always my words. Just having somewhere to go every day and work, and get after that is my favorite part.
5: Clayton has been the pack's rock behind the plate, starting nearly every game the last two years.
1: That guy is solid. He doesn't make too many mistakes. And and when he does, like, that's a guy that I've built a relationship to kind of, you know, go up to him and tell him, like, hey, man, like, you got to do better on this. And he's kind of like, you know, he gives me the same thing. If I'm not doing something right, he, he lets me know too.
5: From winning a Mountain West title and bringing the program back to an NCAA regional for the first time in more than 20 years, he says it's not necessarily the games he'll miss most.
4: Working with the guys, hitting in the cages with them, just being around everyone. I've always worked hard so I don't regret anything. My time's done, I've, I've been here for five years and it's time to be done, but I've enjoyed playing.
5: At Picoli Park, Shannon Kelly, Nevada Net.
0: Nice piece with Matt there. Thank you, Shannon, as the Wolfpack wraps up its season at San Jose State. This weekend. Let's transition now to some report cards for some seasons that are already complete. You can see Chris's full breakdowns at NevadasportsNet.com. We're talking both Wolfpack golf teams today, starting with the men under a first year head coach this
3: year. Yeah, it really struggled to be honest. I mean, obviously, when you have a coaching change, there's going to be different things, but they only lost two starters from last year, so they did bring back three starters. They were coming off four straight NCAA regional appearances, so that's a very high standard for this program to meet. Unfortunately, they weren't able to meet it. So in 11 regular season competitions in the Mountain West Tournament, zero top fives. Last year, they had 10 top fives in 11 tournaments. They finished ninth at the Mountain West Championship out of 11 teams. That's tied for the worst in program history. And they went from 32nd in the national rankings down to 149th. So we're slapping a D on them. Might not be super fair, but Trey Carpenter certainly has to rebuild this program back up to where it was under Jacob Wilner when he left, which was playing at that regional level. Coach Wilner, of course, going back to his alma mater. Yes. So,
0: no fault to him leaving, uh, leaving Reno. So, let's transition out of the ladies who had a much better year under Coach Takashi.
3: Yeah, B plus for the ladies. You could even maybe give them an A minus. They were tremendous in the fall. They won three tournaments as a team level. They had three individual wins, all from Victoria Gailey. They ended up finishing fourth at the Mountain West Championship. That's the second best in program history. And they finished 67th in the country, according to golfstat.com. Usually, you got to be top 25 to make NCAA regional. So just on the outside of making Regional as a team. We know Victoria Gailey won as an individual. So arguably the best program on campus this year. It was either women's golf or men's basketball. Good so call. Coach did a great job. Heck of a year for Gailey and the rest of the Wolfpack.
0: Those are the report cards. You can see more full breakdowns at NevadaSportsNet.com. I think softball's coming next, right? Softball next and then week. baseball. Baseball wraps up this weekend right. as well. So we'll wrap those up next week here on Daily. In the meantime, coming up on today's Friday edition, Chris and I are putting on our... Thursday close (laughs) and checking in with one of the Reno Aces' newest big bats, Tristan English. We're heading to Greater Nevada Field right after this. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Chris Murray, Mike Stephenson hanging out with you on a Friday as we head down to Greater Nevada Field to chat with one of the newest members of the Reno Aces. It is Tristan English. English in the middle of a series with Sacramento is Reno as we welcome in Tristan out of Stockbridge, Georgia. Tell me about Stockbridge, Georgia,
3: Tristan.
1: Uh, That's actually just the hospital where I was born at I was confused on a birthplace and hometown, but uh, I'm from Pike County, Georgia, a little town of Williamson. Uh, I think population around 400 or so, so really small town, Uh, a lot of cows, but a lot, lot of good people there. Just a good, good small town feel. Dang! Population to to be born. Yeah,
3: four hundred. Wow, that's not very many people. I guess. What did those values of growing up in a small town kind of instill in you as you went on this journey to try and make it to the major leagues?
1: Uh, You know, just being able to uh, like be where your feet are. You know, Uh, you grow up with the same people. Everybody knows everybody. You get a good feel of uh, of how everybody is. You get to know everybody, and you get really close and form a lot of a lot of close relationships with people that you've been going to school with since you were four or five years old. So uh, it's it's definitely a, a different feeling, especially going from from there to a, a big city like a, like Atlanta, where I went for school. I uh, de- definitely enjoy the, the small-town feel, but uh, I, I like a bigger city as well.
3: Have they put up a statue of you yet, or are they waiting until you make it to the bigs before <laughs> you get that honor?
1: Uh, no, not quite. We probably need to do something a little more impressive to get something like that. <laughs>
0: Hey, you're still plenty young, sir. So uh, working your way up the Diamondbacks organization, and it was actually two weeks ago today that you were called up from Double A Amarillo. So just a couple weeks playing for the Aces, but already making your presence felt. What has it been like for you at this Triple A level, and maybe more importantly, in our neck of the woods in Reno, Nevada?
1: Uh, it's been a good transition. You know, I knew a lot of people in the clubhouse. Already and everybody made me feel at home. Everyone's very friendly helped me transition pretty well uh, helped prepare me for you know, what what pitching and uh, Playing the field was going to be like in a place like this You know the ball ball moves a, or flies a little bit further uh, Grounds a little harder and then uh, obviously the pitching is a little bit better. They don't miss their spots as much But uh, being able to talk through My approach with a lot of the guys has definitely helped. They, they've made me feel at home here.
0: As far as this being your new home for the summer, what have you heard as you're working your way up? What do you hear about Reno and what it's like to play here and live here um, for maybe some of the people that are in your ear when you're in double A?
1: Everybody talks about the elevation and getting the ball in the air and, and it flies. And obviously, we found that out that that, that is the case. So, uh, other than that, here, City's a great place to be. Anything you can want to do, you can do. A lot of great golf, I've heard from a lot of people, so I'm excited to get out on the course and maybe play here on the off day or two. And then uh, other than that, it's just a good feel. The fans are really nice. Everybody's uh, taken to me pretty well, and uh, I appreciate it.
3: So you've played 30 games this year between double-A AA and triple-A. You're hitting 339 with nine home runs. You had been playing really well in the minor leagues, but I think this has probably been your best season. Is there anything that changed this offseason, or what do you think has kind of gotten you to that next level and right on the brink of the major leagues?
1: Uh, me and our hitting coach, Travis Danker, worked worked a lot last season when he was my hitting coach in double-A, carried over into the off season and into uh, triple-A, into being able to, being able to pull the ball, hit the ball in the air a little bit better, and being able to time up fastballs was kind of the, the focus going into the offseason. And uh, so far, it seems to be paying off a little bit.
0: We go back in time a little bit, and you had a, a significant injury to overcome during your college years at Georgia Tech. You mentioned going to school there in Atlanta. You had Tommy John surgery, I think it was before your sophomore season or after your sophomore season. Can you Tell us about how that all came about and
1: just what it was like getting through that. So right after my freshman season, I had some bone spurs removed from the elbow, and then five months later, in my second-to-last bullpen, getting ready to uh, start opening day, I obviously blew out my UCL. I Had to have a Tommy John surgery, missed all of sophomore year, and uh, was back about right out a year on, on the mound and was able to pitch in that in that opening weekend. So it was a, a big, big thing to overcome, but you know. We, just got to stay focused, and that's really all I was. It was my only focus was getting back on the field and helping our team win.
3: You are a very good pitcher as well. Obviously, you're a position player now in the minor leagues, but I guess how did you make that decision between being a hitter or being a pitcher, and I guess what do you miss about pitching?
1: Uh, so the Diamondbacks called me before the draft and asked me if I would want a two-way if they drafted me, and I said, sure, I've already, I've already been doing it for, I don't know, three, four years now or pretty much since I since I started pitching, I guess, in high school. And uh, I said, sure. And when I got drafted, I was in my meeting with everybody, and at the end of the meeting I was like, am I still pitching or not? Because they, they didn't mention it. And then they said, no, uh, we looked over your medical history, and we're just going to let you hit for a little bit. But uh, we've always got it in the back pocket if we need it. So, uh It's definitely something that that I miss. I liked having full full control over the game. You can control the pace, you can control a little bit more because you can control your pitches, how you approach hitters and stuff like that. And uh, it it was a lot of fun. Hopefully it doesn't come to me having to do it again, but if it does, I'm ready for it.
0: It sounds like you are staying ready, but is there an advantage having pitched at such a high level but now focusing on being in the batter's box in terms of kind of putting yourself in your opposing pitcher's shoes? Do you feel like that gives you a, a little edge?
1: I think a little bit you kind of get a feel for how the at-bats going and uh, what something that you just done, whether it be a swing and miss or a good take, how it would set up from a pitcher's perspective, their next pitch. And then at the same time, I think sometimes it hurts me a little bit because I think too much about this is what they should throw because this is what I would throw and then you get caught sitting on something you shouldn't be sitting on. So it's definitely a love-hate relationship with being a pitcher before.
3: (laughs) So having accomplished probably both of these things, would you rather strike out the side as a pitcher or hit a grand slam as a hitter?
1: Oh, grand slam for sure. (laughs) (laughs) As a pitcher, you're supposed to be successful. It's uh, allegedly a little bit easier. I'm not going to say it is easier because having done both, I know it's a pretty difficult thing to do. But when you hit a grand slam at the plate, there's no other feeling like it.
0: That's pretty cool. You've gotten just a small taste of what it's like to play at Greater Nevada Field, but what do you think of the ballpark? What do you think of our city and just uh, kind of the vibe around ace ball, which has been going on for now well over a decade in this town?
1: The ballpark is beautiful. I mean, everything from our clubhouse weight room to the stands, the field itself, uh, the stadium, and then the fans here are extremely nice. They're always asking for autographs. They're always saying, hey, and then they, they remember your game from a week ago, two weeks ago. Hey, I was here the last time you hit that home run or you made that play at first base or you gave my kid a ball last time. They really appreciate it. And it's nice to have fans that remember you and kind of value you as a person rather than just a player. And then the city itself is gorgeous. I mean, looking at up at Snowcap Mountains is just something you don't get to see in Georgia. So I have really taken in a lot of the scenery.
3: A lot of green grass behind you. You mentioned golf earlier this segment, so break down your golf game for us. Do you have a handicap, and where are your strengths and weaknesses?
1: In the off season, I was playing to about a nine handicap. So no, no, nothing crazy, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Depends on if we can chip and putt that day. It's really all it comes down to.
0: It is the short game I've heard, yeah. I'll take a nine handicap all day every day tristan english anything else you want to add to the people here in the biggest little city i know you're still getting acquainted yourself we do need to let you know that you got to hit up lake tahoe before the summer is over i'm sure we're not the first to tell you that
1: no i definitely plan on on getting up there getting the the fiance and the daughter up there at some point so they can see that
0: that would be great are they here in town with you
1: they are they got here uh last sunday so they're going nice. to be here for pretty much the rest of the time that I'm here living, living with me. It's great to have them out here.
0: How exciting. That's good stuff.
3: Anything else for Tristan, Chris? No, I'm just excited to watch you play. And uh, hopefully you do get to get on the mound at some point. Maybe a blowout win. They uh, give you an inning and we can uh, see what you can do there.
1: Uh, I won't hold my breath, but if it comes down (laughs) to it, like I said, I am ready for that. (laughs) That'd be kind of fun to see. All
3: right,
0: it is Tristan English of the Reno Aces here on NSN Daily. Tristan, once again, thanks so much for the time and keep on keeping on, man.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Always cool. I always love hearing the the snow-capped mountains thing, because yeah. it's something uh, that we as residents of here for a long time maybe take for granted, so it's always nice to get that perspective of like, oh man, they're, they're kind of distracting. They're so beautiful, <laughs> really. Yeah, you don't usually <laughs> get
3: that in every single city, and obviously coming from the city he came from, 400 people, it's just amazing. You can do anything from anywhere, and, and certainly to come from a population of that small and now be at the AAA level, one step away from the major leagues, hopefully he's able to accomplish that this year, but just shows you that if you have that drive and certainly that God-given ability, it doesn't matter where you come from from. Somebody will find you and you will have success. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the minor league website has him at, as a Stockbridge, Georgia native because that's where he had to be
0: born because his <laughs> town was so dang small. So nice to learn exactly where he is from. Tristan English from the Reno Aces. All right, coming up next on NSN Daily, more show on a Friday. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Mike and Chris with you on a Friday. As we look back to last night, starting first in the NHL, a marathon game in Carolina between the Florida Panthers and the Hurricanes. Mm. Game one, they needed a lot of extra time. Florida thought they had it in the first overtime. The goal was waved off. Took until the fourth overtime for Matthew
3: Kachuk to get it done think the TBS halftime crew was thrilled uh, that this didn't go to a fifth one. I was hoping for a fifth overtime. <laughs> to be honest. I was in my kid's bed watching it on my phone because it was time to go to sleep, certainly over there in the uh, uh, eastern time zone. But, uh, you know, the Panthers have been the underdog of these playoffs. A huge goal by Matthew Kachuk, a killer for Carolina. to Lose this one at home. Literally played more than two games. You're Unreal. talking about four full overtime periods. Frederick Anderson, I thought, played tremendous for Carolina. He made 57 saves in the goal, probably stopped at least 10 should be goals in overtime only to get the loss. We'll see how they rebound, but one of the longest games in NHL history. I think it was number
0: six all time. And yeah, that puck going off of the official <laughs> and right into Kachuk's stick. So a big break there for Florida, the eight seed taking game one. Let's transition out of the NBA. The Denver Nuggets took game one. And if you ask head coach Michael Malone afterward, I guess everything was all about the Lakers and how they maybe figured something out in the second half of that game. Well, the Nuggets, Well, they figured out how to win game two as well. Last night in Denver, LA led by 10 in the third, Chris, and then Denver went on a 32 to 10 run that really Buried the Lakers, Jamal Murray's fourth quarter, a big reason why as well. 2 nothing heading back to L.A. Yeah,
3: all Jamal Murray in this one. 23 points in the fourth quarter. It's his fourth 20-point fourth quarter in his history. LeBron played okay. I thought he played really well defensively. Way yeah. too many three-point attempts. Anthony Davis didn't really show up. 4-15 from the field. So, Lakers are in a very difficult position. We'll see if they can rally back and make this a series. But a big comeback from the Nuggets. And it looked like everybody was winded. We're used to elevation yeah. here. They clearly were not because everybody was very tired in that fourth quarter.
0: Only six teams in conference finals history have ever come back Mm -hmm. from down 0-2. Two of those teams led by. LeBron James we will have to see what happens as we transition to heat and the Celtics game two coming up after Miami took game one Caleb Martin had a huge performance in that game I know the Celtics are going to certainly be trying to get right tonight
3: yeah I mean the Celtics is just very unpredictable I think they'll come out and they'll play hard and they'll play much better than they were able to play in game one specifically the third quarter they did win three of the four quarters but if Miami wins this game the Celtics might be in major, major trouble. To lose your first two at home, you can't have that, so we'll see if Boston shows up and plays better than they did a couple of nights ago. Talking about the Florida Panthers in eight seed, the Miami Heat in eight seed,
0: something going on down in South Beach. All right. Coming up next on NSN Daily, we have a legend to remember. We'll talk about that to wrap up this Friday show right after this. Welcome back to NSN Daily. We have lost a legend in the sports world, friends. Jim Brown passing away at the age of 87. It was reported Friday that he died Thursday in his home in Los Angeles, a college and pro football Hall of Famer, all-time great running back, All-American lacrosse player, In college, uh, it's a big loss in the football world. Yeah, I
3: mean, many consider him the best running back to ever play the sport. His uh, 5.2 yards per carry is third all-time in NFL history behind Jamal Charles and Marion Motley, a former Wolfpack player. So that's kind of a cool stat there. But he was a three-time MVP, nine-time Pro Bowler, NFL champ. Some say the greatest lacrosse player ever as well. Very involved with the civil rights movement. So a long history and legacy Jim Brown takes with him.
0: RIP Jim Brown as we wrap up this Friday edition of Daily. We'll see you next week, friends.